you claim to be about that street life, whether you fake or real, you cannot snitch. It's not an option. Oh, snap. Let me uh, turn this off. I'm talking about people that's like, you know, when it comes to Takashi 6ix9ine, and y'all be like, well, they did them wrong. They did them wrong. They disrespected them. They just, you know, they were they were stealing his money and his girl and man, they just never had respect. No, man, the street ain't no respect in the streets. It's Cutthroat Island. It's the streets. Every man for himself in this land, we be gunning. Even when you're in a gang, you don't snitch. That's not an option. Even if you're a fake thug, you can't resort to the snitch. Because you prescribe to the street lifestyle. And that's rule number one. That's rule number one. Above all else. Ain't no excuses. I don't care if they did. Takashi 69, he looks easy to disrespect. Of course they disrespected this dude. How can you not? He looks harder to respect than to disrespect. You know, you know, it's some people that's hard to respect. Like you see them coming down the street, the way they talk, the way they move, their whole vibe. You'd be like, yo, I'm really struggling to respect you. Like I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find traits about you to respect. Like I got to look for the respect. Some people, when they walk in the room, it's respect. Y'all be like, oh man, I respect this person. They came in with the energy. But some people, you got to be like, oh, I don't want to be this judgmental. Like, what? let me look at you real quick. What can I possibly respect about you as an individual? Oh, it's just, uh, I mean, you, 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 you put good gas in the car. I can respect that. Like, you got to really, like, dig around and find something to respect. And Takashi is one of those people. I just got to really struggle to find something I respect about this guy, man. Like, I saw him giving money to, like, people in need. That's that's respectable. But I, I don't feel like it's genuine. I don't feel like it's genuine. Like, you know what I'm saying? You know, give money to those people with the cameras off. You know? Behind closed doors. That, I respect that. Like, if you're giving money with the cameras on, yeah, it's a nice gesture. But what you really doing it for? Like what's the what's the real on that? You know what I mean? Got my co-host in the building, water. You want to talk about respect? Respect water. Water needs the utmost respect. Water commands respect. Now, this particular water don't really command respect because it's 7-Eleven. But it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. It was desperate measures. The 7-Eleven was close to the studio. And you got you to gotta caress it. You got to hold it like it's a, it's a newborn, a newborn out here. You got to hold, you got to hold the water and hold the caress. Caress. You know what I'm saying? We gotta we gotta treat water like we treat babies, man. You gotta handle them, handle them with care. You know what I mean? We need this. We need this. We need this. Everybody should be like, yo, water. You gotta change. imagine. Imagine living life for two weeks with no water. Two weeks with no water. How you think? How you think life gonna be for you? You're going to die. I think. Death. Yeah. <laughs> How long can you go without water? Like three days? I feel like it's like you might be able to squeeze out five, maybe, on the extreme end. Man, your lips going to be. Oh, <laughs> lips going to be chapped. You're going to be funky. You're going to be functified. You're going to be out of here, man. That's why we need to hold. We need to hold our water bottles like babies, man. We need to be out here like this. Hey, you know, rocking it. Rock that water. Rock that water, man. Don't just drink it and call it a day. You got to come in like, oh, oh, be careful. Yeah, you can hold her. You can hold her. Yeah. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, man, you just get this gallon? Oh, 
You got a gallon, huh? You gonna you gonna drink this gallon? We we got to we got to treat water with care, man. It's everything, man. It's more vital than the babies. Babies are cute and all, but are they vital? Is that baby as vital as this? I don't know. I don't know, man. We got to, you know. We got to we got to handle that water with care, man. All right, to the people watching on Instagram, if you want to see the rest of this, join my Patreon. Get the link. We in here live. But if not, we're out of here. Sorry. Sorry. Boom. There that is. But yeah, man, we in here. Drink more water, y'all. Drink more water. Make it a regular routine. Make it a regular part of your life. I want you to feel weird if you haven't had a good dose of water on a day-to-day, man. And water is not paying me to say any of this. It's all from the heart. It's all from the soul. You feel me? You feel me. All right, y'all. Um, we back. Verbal cardio. Let's tap in to what my patron saints are talking about. Let me see. Let me see what y'all want me to talk about real quick. Where my post at? Hold on a second, man. Let me find. Oh, yeah, here we go. Here we go. All right, let's see. Let's see y'all. We got my producer extraordinaire. She got to work today, so uh, she will be away, but she might tap in periodically here and there. Um, okay, so Christina Gordon. Christina Gordon asks, do you have any thoughts on the possible overturning of Roe versus Wade? I think it's trash and kind of scary. Unwanted pregnancies, women with health dangers, men who don't want to be daddies. I think it will be a very bad decision if it becomes officially uh, nationwide. I know older women, Marines, that... uh, Wait, I know older women, Marines, that... Self, oh, self-aborted back in the 60s and 70s because they would have been put out of the Marine Corps if they hadn't done so. Um, so I think, so with the Roe versus Wade, so I would assume that they're making what, abortions illegal then? Yeah, they're overturning the Supreme Court ruling that happened a while ago. Uh, basically, would essentially ban it. So they're banning abortions? <clears throat> Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. That, I'm not with it. I'm not with it. I'm not with it at all, man. I mean, no. This is absolutely, I'm not with it at all. Not feeling it. Not. I'm not supporting it. I'm not, women have every right to do what they want. I mean, and I just don't like how, as a man, I just don't like how we get off scotch free. We we reckless with the nut bust. We are reckless with the nut bust. And then everything else is laid at the feet of the woman. That's unfair. I mean, it's part of what what nature is, but it, it's unfair. It's like, yo, we can bust off intentionally busted off inside we know we know how babies are created you got to be careful man if you really ain't about that kid life you gotta you gotta wear two rubbers first of all because rubbers do snap and sometimes they bust off and then you them you know i've been there i've been in situations where the condom broke and i was like Ooh. and then we got to go to plan b we got to go to plan b but I just don't like, but, but we took the responsibility to, yo, to get the plan B. Like, I've been in situations where, uh, I remember I was with a girl I was dating. The condom broke. I didn't know it. You know. <clears throat> All inside. And then it was like, yo, you realize it in the moment. And I'm just like, yo, we got to go get the plan B. And I paid for the plan B. You gotta, you gotta take the steps, man. 
gotta take this. And that's not even mentioning the, the women that have been sexually assaulted or lied to, or even like, you know, some people be shady with them condoms. They be back there taking them off while you switching positions. And then you get, and now, you know what I mean? It's like, so I, I, don't, I don't like this at all. I'm not with it. I'm not with it. And for me, like, you know, I got a vasectomy. So, you know, I'm really about that life. And, you know, I'm, I'm no stranger to being involved in abortions. Like, you know, um, I'm very open about, you know, my experiences sexually. And it's just like, you know, when I lost my virginity, you know, that resulted in an abortion. I could have been played. I could have gotten played, though. But, you know, this is my, my first time. I busted off. I was a two-pump chump. Didn't last long at all. Out of here. Then it was like, yo, you know, I'm pregnant. <laughs> shot the club up. I shot the club up. She was like, I'm pregnant, you know. And so I'd put in on the on the abortion. And that was my debut in the sexual streets. That was my debut. I was a two-pump chump. It resulted in that. And I was just like, damn. That was my debut, man. That's not how you want to kick it off. It could have been worse. It could have been worse. I could have, I could have caught something that I could never get rid of, you know. But, you know, that that was my debut. And then, you know, I was involved again with another one because my uh, my long term, you know, girlfriend at the time, we we just weren't ready, and it was just like, you know, so I'm involved in 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 that life, you know. Uh, so I I could never. I could never look down on, you know, people that have gotten abortions. And a lot of a lot of women have gotten abortions. They they don't need to tell you all their business like that, but it's a lot of women out here, whether they admit it or not, have gotten abortions. So, you know, it it I just don't like how everything falls at the feet of women when it when it takes two to tango. It takes two to tango. And, you know, men have to be held accountable for shooting the club up. You got to be held accountable for the... You can't just be out here with the reckless... And then we laying on the women to just take the heat. They taking the heat at the abortion clinic. They taking the heat from the judgment. They taking the heat from the family. Now they taking the heat from the Supreme Court. They always taking the heat, and the men are standing there scot-free. And I, I, I just don't think that's right. That's a man. I don't think that's fair. And then everybody's looking down on women like, you know, did the woman bust off in herself? Absolutely not. She wasn't just sitting there like, there's no asexual reproduction going on here. So I'm not with it. I ain't feeling it. Uh, Another question. Oh, she said it's really really for Sabrina, but, you know, Catherine West. Shout out to Catherine West. And that first uh, question was from Christina Gordon. Shout out to my patron saints. This question is really for Sabrina, but I'm curious about your answer, too. During the East Coast, West Coast beef between Biggie and Pac, did you listen to Pac? Did you pick sides? I saw a YouTuber who said he was born in 86, and until recently, he hadn't listened to his music. Uh, first of all, I think 86. I think but if you were born in 86, I think you, you should have been listening to some Pac. Because that means... In 96, when he died, you were 10. As a kid, you should have been exposed to some good Pac by by the people around you, the family, whatever. But, you know, not everybody listens to hip-hop. Not everybody, you know, is playing that type of music around the kids. So I get it. I get it. Reggie Kinlaw just called me a West Coast hip-hop hater. First of all, Sabrina, are you in here to even answer that question? Because Sabrina, Sabrina is definitely, Sabrina definitely leans east, big time. Sabrina leans east for sure. You know, she likes Kendrick and TDE, 
but I don't really I don't really see her, you know, West Coasting it up outside of Kendrick in that camp and like, you know, I don't know. I'm gonna just throw that out there. And Struggle Build Bakery, <laughs> Struggle Build, Struggle Beard Bakery is in the chat right now. I hate you, bro. So Reggie saw my list. So let me answer the question from my perspective. I think as hip-hop fans, I think we all have our bias as to what region we lean towards in hip-hop. I think we all got a we all got a sonic bias on which particular sound we lean towards in hip-hop, right? Whether you want to admit it or not. If we if we look at your favorites, there might be a pattern there. Uh, Amir, would you say you lean to a particular region? The South got something to say. The South, he's leaning, he's leaning Southern, right? Um, I lean East. I lean East. Like I grew up. I'm 44. So I grew up, you know, as, as hip hop was just in its infancy. And then, you know, growing up, hip hop just leaned east naturally because that's where that's where it started, right? So most of the stuff we were hearing and exposed to was East Coast. It was from New York. It was from the East. And so that was the foundation. And so I'm growing up, you know, I'm watching Breaking, I'm watching B Street, and I'm listening to early hip hop, Run DMC, uh, Curtis Blow. LL Cool J, you know, I'm just seeing all of this just come out of the East. Audio 2 and, you know, uh, Rob Bass. And, uh, heavy East, right? So I'm growing up in that. And so, you know, Chicago, we really didn't have a voice at that time, you know, on the, on the hip-hop tip. I can't even say I lean Midwest because Midwest had already, had already come out with its sound, when I was already kind of established in what sound I was leaning towards. So, you know, by the time Tongue Twister and Common and, like, you know, by the time those cats hit the scene, I was already, like, bathed in East Coast hip-hop by that time, right? So when the, East, when, the when the West Coast starts popping, you know, Ice-T and, like, you know, N.W.A. Is, is, like, you know, kicking the doors down. It's like, oh, shit, oh, Oh, you know, and then from the South, you got the ghetto boys, you know. Um, so it was just like, damn, okay. But I was already established in that East coming up, so everything was compared to the East for me. And so as I get older, you know, I'm still leaning. Even when the West was dominating, I was still leaning East. And I was just like, nah, I like these type of beats better. I like this type of flow, this type of sound, this type of look. So I was leaning East. And uh, so by the time Biggie and Pac start their feud, and mind you, let's not forget. Let's not forget. I don't care what y'all talking about because everybody wants to claim Tupac. Tupac is from New York. He is from New York. He moved, raised in New York, moved to Baltimore. Then he started musically in the Bay Area, right? So the West wants to claim him big time. But if you listen to Tupacalypse Now, if you listen to Strictly For My Niggas, regionally, Tupac, his beats, his production, the way he rapped, leaned East. I don't care what y'all are saying. It's just that he, he made his way to the West, and that's how he was able to... Because he went, he went West, he got with Digital Underground, so he was rocking with that crew. And so, you know, Digital Underground, they're from the Bay Area. But if you look if you listen to the production, the way it sounded, the way he rapped, you know, you you listen to the songs he was doing, it didn't it didn't sound West Coast. It didn't sound like, you know, what E forty and then we're doing well nobody sounds like E forty. Well like it didn't it didn't sound like too short of E forty. It didn't sound like, you know, NWA, it didn't sound like these LA cast Richie Rich and stuff like that. So um it sounded like it was more in the vein of like Public Enemy or like you know stuff like that. Like you know when when Ice Cube, when Ice Cube went uh, when he went off on his own, you know his production was East Coast sounding. He went with the Bomb Squad, so it had that. Even though he was from out west, it had that East Coast sound. 
And so everybody like, yo, man, Tupac is West. The only reason you super claim Tupac is West because he made it so because all eyes on me was like, yo, I'm throwing up the W. I'm out West. I got shot in New York. I'm pissed off. I'm riding with them. This is what it is. We're going to West it up. We're going we gonna to give my sound more of a West Coast feeling because I'm with Death Row Records. I'm a guy, I got Daz on the production. So now we coming in super West Coast. But if you listen to... If you listen to me against the world, it's not the same sound. It's not like, oh, this dude is mad West Coast right here. No. See, I, y'all forget, I've seen Tupac from beginning to end. A lot of y'all coming in late talking about who, who uh, Tupac was and, you know, what the sound was. I was there on the front lines watching the whole evolution of Tupac. So when you say, you know, Tupac is West Coast, is he? Is he though? So, um, and for me, my favorite Tupac uh, album of all time is Me Against the World. So, um, so when he had the beef with Biggie, the question is, did I choose sides in the East Coast, West Coast beef? I did. I chose sides. You know, I was in high school, so, you know, we impressionable. And I chose sides. I was just like, man... Because it was like, it was like you had to choose. It was like, hey, man, who you rocking with? That was like, it was like you had to pick a side. It was like, pick a side. Macaroni and cheese, greens, mashed potatoes, pick a side. And I was just like, damn, man, why are we doing it? Because I like, you know, regardless of what certain people uh, think about me when it comes to Pac, I am a Tupac fan. I rock with Pac. Me Against the World is a classic album to me. I really like Pac. I like Pac um, just as an entity. I thought he was a phenomenal actor, and I think he is a top-tier MC. Um, you know, So Many Tears by Tupac is one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, but I picked a side, and I went with Biggie. I went with Biggie, man. I picked I picked the side. I went East Coast. I went East Coast, man. Cause that 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 that's it was an easy pick for me. It was an easy pick for me, man. You know, End of the Wu Tang, 36 Chambers is one of the best songs I've ever heard. Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Red Man, Nas. It was just it was too much firepower on the East Coast for me to be like, I'm picking West. No. I was East McGee, man. I was the sun rises in the East. I was East Coast McGee. I ain't even gonna lie, I ain't even gonna front. When I had to choose a side, I was like, East Coast. That was more in my wheelhouse. That was more, you know, boot camp click. You know, it was just like I was I was feeling the East. The East, more, a lot more. And so I was just like, yeah, East Coast. And then, uh, you know, when it came to Biggie and Pac, I was like, yo, man, that Biggie Ready to Die album, lyrically, lyrically, you can't put too many albums above Ready to Die. From a lyrical, from a lyrical standpoint, Ready to Die is one of the most impressive hip-hop albums ever created from a lyrical standpoint. Like, if you, if you just look at the mechanics of lyricism, right? Now, mind you, the only thing Biggie was missing or hadn't had the opportunity to show us yet was his raps on social commentary, like how he felt about society at large, racism, poverty, you know, we never got a chance to experience Biggie in that realm. All of Biggie's stuff was primarily storytelling, uh, drug rap, flashy, materialism, and violence. We never got into the uh, the commentary side of Biggie, the social side of Biggie, which we got in spades with Tupac. Like, Tupac was always talking about, you know, um, you know society at large, which is why, you know, Tupac was dope. But from just 
but from just from a lyrical ability standpoint, if you look at Ready to Die and what Biggie was doing lyrically in that album, he was hitting us with so many different facets of his lyrical ability that it was crazy. It was like, yo, he's telling crazy stories on this album. He's being multiple characters within the story on this album. He's rapping aggressive. He's rapping smooth. He's rapping with humorous bars. He's like, he's painting pictures. He's giving visuals. He's like, yo, he's giving us aspirations on, on, on like dreams and like, you know, wanting to be somebody bigger than you are with Juicy and stuff like that. It's like, man, you know what I'm saying? We, Man, I, I want to do that too. I want to I want a Super Nintendo and a Sega Genesis too, you know? Um, he's doing so many different things at a top-tier level in that album. It's just like, yo, man, lyrically, this album is crazy. From a lyrical standpoint, it was just like, yo, this album came out of nowhere. Nobody saw it coming. And it was just like, yo, Biggie is one of the best dudes to ever to ever you know grab a mic and start putting words together from a from a lyrical performance it was just like and and, and I always say this about Biggie I, I always say this about Biggie he does everything well lyrically whatever whatever the genre is now mind you the only thing we didn't see was the commentary part but if he was going to be smooth you believed it if he was going to be talking drug rap you believed it. If he was going to be mad aggressive talking about he eat MCs for breakfast, you believed it. If he was going to be mad funny, it was funny. If he was going to be multiple characters within the track, you was like, yo, this, this is a different character. He did all this on a high level. So, you know, I chose, I chose Biggie. I went East. And, you know, that's just, that's just what I lean towards. And I feel like, honestly, everybody has their bias. You know, it's uh, you got some people that are well-rounded as far as like which which region they lean towards when it comes to hip hop. Because now, I feel like the regions are starting to blend together, and you know, the sounds are starting to merge. Now it's getting harder to decipher who's from where. You know what I mean? You got some cats from the east sounding like they from the south, and like you don't know where anybody is from, but that that sound is like it's southern in its origin. But back then, I feel like the regions were more defined. Like, you you know, that Midwest sound, it sounded twisted and, and do or die and crucial conflict and bone thugs and harmony. They sounded different than, you know, what was going on in the East and the West and the South. But I feel like we all we all lean in a certain direction. The mayor said the South, I'm going to go East. You know, people in my chats were, which region are y'all leaning towards? I want to know. I got to know. Which region do y'all lean towards when it comes to rap? So we got Tony says East. Tamara says East. Nakia says East. West Coast, because I'm from there. Midwest, South, Dirty South. South, East, South, East, 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 East. The South, East, West, South, East. And, and the caveat is... Whatever region you pick, are you from that region? Like Amir's from the South. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, technically, yes, Virginia is the South. Virginia and Atlanta are definitely the South. But mm -hmm. people people like to be like Virginia's not the South. Virginia's the Virginia's South. Virginia's the South. Yeah, for sure. I, I grew up East Heavy though. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. Definitely, you know, influenced by Southern sounds, but I, I'm born in the nineties, so mm -hmm. growing up, my parents were listening to a lot of Jay Z. A lot of Jay Z growing up. My uh -huh. dad was a big fan of Wu Tang. Nas, okay. <clears throat> Erica Badu, yeah, Justin Timberlake, mm -hmm. uh, anything Pharrell Timberlake because Virginia, right? Clips, all of that going on. Uh -huh. uh, who we got? D'Angelo, uh, Kanye West was big influence on when he came up before he started rapping. Kanye when he's making beats, I was right. studying his stuff as a kid. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of you know East Coast stuff, and even though Kanye was from Chicago, his production style was definitely East sound. It like, sounded East, yeah, with heavy soul yeah. samples, yeah. yeah, blueprint and all of that. So I was yeah. East heavy before I moved, before I started. Like right before I moved to Atlanta, that's when I think uh, we had Lil Jon and all of them come out, and the Crunk era started progressing more. Yeah, <clears throat> even though that was a Memphis sound, mm -hmm. Atlanta like Lil Jon took it and made it 
what it was. Right. So I got into that, and I was like, I like this stuff. And that's yeah. when all that stuff started popping up. So we got Lil Scrappy, right. and we got Young Bloods Young and all Bloods, that stuff yep. like that. And then T.I., mm-hmm. and then Jeezy, and then Ludacris. And I was like, the South. I like right. these guys. So I was like, I like what they got going on. So I gravitated to that because they were a little more experimental right. in their music. And then, of course, Lil Wayne. So Hot Boys mm-hmm. and all that stuff was one of the biggest influences in my life, period. Right, the Even Hot Boys. Even to this day, Hot Boys are just... So I Manny Fresh, was he, Manny, was he doing the bulk of the production? Manny yeah, Fresh? if not all of it. Yeah. Manny Fresh, I listen to his music even today, be like, I don't even know how he even did this stuff because considering, like, since I know the musical aspect of, like, the creation and technicalities and stuff, like, how did you do this in the 90s with what you had? Because right. I've touched that gear. I've used that stuff. Yeah. He was on another level for sure, and I, I feel like he, he deserves his respect. But right. Hot Boys for sure had a big influence on me, mm-hmm. my young impressionable mind at... Five, six, seven years old. Like yeah. I want to be like them. I'm wearing bandanas. I'm doing all of that stuff. Like, you was five, six when the Hot Boys came out. Man, I, Hot Boys originally were the '90s, right? Yeah, yeah. I was born in '95. God damn. So bro. I'm listening to all of that stuff. Like when they coming out, <laughs> I, you know, the Cash Money records taking yeah. up. Like I was four and five years old. Yeah. But I wanted to be like I was listening to that stuff. I was like, that's what I wanted to be like mm-hmm. before my parents put Bow Wow on me. But oh, yeah. you know, and then <laughs> and then Bow Wow came. I was like. I'm, I would be like Bow Wow. Yeah. But Hot Boys for sure, man. That that, that was a so I, the South definitely always, always like cop pulled into it. Yeah. Even though I grew up listening to a lot of East stuff. Mm. When I moved to Atlanta, I was like, okay, I see what I see what y'all got going on. I really couldn't understand when people would be like, uh man, Gucci man, Gucci man hard. Like Gucci man. This is, you know, 2006. Gucci yeah. man. He's like, man, Gucci man. I was like, I'm not feeling Gucci man yet. Yeah. But now I get it. You know, I was like, nah, man, Jay-Z. Then it was like, nah, Gucci man. And I was like, how y'all comparing them? Yeah. Then I was like, okay, I get it. You have to be in a certain area to understand you, why you, people you, look at it. Because it, it, that argument, even today, to most people, be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But then you got to go and then you listen to it be like, oh, okay, I get it. You got to be different. in the area. It's different. And, and you know what, for me, like, I moved to New Mexico, right? And the black folks in New Mexico was rocking West Coast stuff heavy. They was they was, they they definitely leaned West and Southern. <laughs> In, in New Mexico. So when I'm coming in with Wu-Tang and Redman and Nas, they just like, man, look out, man. We listening to South Central Cartel, Brother Lynch Hung. We listening to we listening to this type of stuff. So when No Limit came out, they were listening to that. And I was just like, you know, the South for me, the, the prime South for me was Outkast. And like when Outkast hit the scene, I was just like, it's some of the best shit I've ever heard. And so, you know, outside of the Dungeon family and like Scarface, I wasn't I wasn't uh rocking the South too heavy outside of those cats. Like, you know, the No Limit, although I even though I respected, you know, Master P and what he was able to do and like you know, his run was crazy, I wasn't really listening, I wasn't really rocking with No Limit sonically like that. And I was just like, you know, occasionally, like, you know, I liked uh the occasional banger from them, like, of course, you know, make them say, uh, like, Mystical has some joints and, like, but ultimately, like, I wasn't a fan of Beast by the Pound production. You know, they was handling the bulk of it, and I just felt like, and I really felt like they were just making too many beats too soon. I really feel like they they weren't sitting in the, in the sound. They were just, like, cranking it out too fast. No Limit was putting out music every week. It was on a weekly basis. <laughs> Full big albums. They wasn't doing those short ten track albums. Nah, they, they were, were doing, doing long play. They were doing deluxes back then. They were just doing, and I was just like, "Well, goddamn, man!" And I just couldn't, I, I, I couldn't really get into it. Like, but I respected, I respected it though. I was like, "Man, Master P did something crazy." I just wish I liked him more. And you know, and that, you know, that's just my truth uh, on that. But I, you know, I've always respected the No Limit Hustle. But I was always, you know, Wu Tang, the Fugees. You know, um, that was that was just my flavor. And it was like you you always coming to your own after you're raised around certain music, and you know your your parents played this, your your older siblings played this and that, and you liked it. But then you come into your own space where you you gravitate towards what you gravitate towards. And for me going east, even though I'm from the Midwest, and even even when you look at like Common, like Common Sense is from Chicago, but if you look at his production choices, who he worked with, even though No ID is also from Chicago, the sound leaned east. And then you know when Common started working with Quest Love and 
and Jay Dilla and like even Jay Dilla's production, it was like it could lean east, even though it's it's his own. Jay Dilla has his own sound, like you know that's Dilla, and and Jay Dilla's sound honestly could go either way, like you know when he when he did stuff for the Far Side, he was like, oh this sounded this sounded real West right here, and so that's why many regard Jay Dilla as like you know one of the best to ever do it, but um. That's that's how I was coming up sonically. I was just like, and you know, when I made my top twenty-five list, a lot of people was in their feelings about it. But he was like, "Man, you biased. Everybody's biased. Yep. Your list, your list is gonna be sonically biased, and it, you only hurt. You're only hurt because you're only hurt because my bias doesn't align with yours. Uh, so, you know, there's that. Sorry, that question was so long-winded, but you know. I could talk music for a long time. Uh, let me go to uh, the verbal cardio topics. Um, so, James Corden, he hosts the Late Late Show. And, you know, he's approaching, like, his final season. I think his final season closes out in 2023. So next year, you know, he's done. And I've read reports somewhere that – uh he turned down fifty million dollars. They want him. To, they want him to continue with the Late Late Show, but he's turning down, I believe, fifty million. I'm not sure how true this is, but this is what I've read. Uh, he's walking away from fifty million dollars, and I'm just like, that's a lot of money to walk away from. We know, we know Dave Chappelle famously and infamously, whatever you want to call it, walked away from $50 million. Now, in hindsight, we know that, you know, he was able to weather the storm, stand on his own, and then come back even more successful than what he walked away from on his own terms. But that hindsight is 2020. Like, you know, when Dave Chappelle first walked away from that $50 million, we looked at him like he was crazy. We looked at him like he lost his goddamn mind. We was just like, how how are you walking away from $50 million from your own show? Like, people couldn't wrap their head around that. And, you know, Dave Chappelle was telling us his explanations on why and stuff like that. And people were still just like, nah, man, you bugging. You bugging. Just take the check. A lot of people would just take the check. But money ain't everything, y'all. I know that, I know that's hard to believe. I know it's hard to believe, and I know it's hard to fathom, and I know it's hard to grasp. But money truly ain't everything. When Seinfeld walked away, they wanted Seinfeld to do one more season of Seinfeld. They were going to offer him $5 million per episode for another season of Seinfeld. That would have been a 24-episode season. Twenty, Let's say 24 episodes times five million. He walked away from a hundred and twenty million dollar season. He was like, no, I'd rather just end it here, go out on the high note. He walked away from a hundred and twenty million dollar season. And a lot of people just like, yo, how? You know how much money Seinfeld is worth today? Nine hundred and fifty million dollars. So he turned out all right. Money is important. Money is important. You know, you can't just be out here completely disrespecting money because money is very important. Like, if you don't think money is important, find yourself in a medical jam and you out here and you need that medical money. Find yourself in a situation where the worst has happened and you need somebody to repair your car. Find yourself in a situation where you're evicted. Find yourself in a situation where you need the money tonight. And then you be like, well, goddamn, money is, it is kind of important. It's not everything, but it's important. So when you get in a situation where you're doing all right, you're doing all right, you're making a pretty decent living, you're doing all right, that's when you start to realize that money really ain't everything. You know, I can I can walk away from this. So James Corden, even though we're looking at it like, yo, you walking away from $50 million? He's already a millionaire. You know, what's what's another 50 to a millionaire? He's already a multimillionaire. So to him, it's just like, ah, oh, it's not worth the hassle. 
Because whatever whatever reason he has for walking away from the show is obviously not as important as the walk away. You know, the walk away is the more important. I'd rather walk away. Like he was saying, I was reading somewhere that he he really missed his family. He really missed the UK. You know, he wants his he wants his kids to, you know, be with his grandparents with their grandparents more often. So he's looking at it like this, you know, I'm going for peace of mind, I'm going for family, I'm going for what I'm used to, I'm going for that for the happiness. And if you're already worth millions of dollars, all right, so what? I'm walking away from fifty million dollars. It's not the end of the world. I'll be all right in the long run. Now, mind you, you know, we're thinking James Corden is going to be all right in the long run, which he can be, which he he can come he can come back and do other shows or other movies or whatever. He has the options. So he might be thinking, I'm not really tripping. So I really feel like you really you really understand that money isn't everything, especially when you get to a place where you're financially more comfortable to really say that. You know, there are certain people in situations where, you know what I'm saying, shit, I need every dollar. You know, I need that ten dollars, man. You'll you'll do whatever you can do to get it. But then when you get in a situation where it's just you can walk away from some good money, it's just like, man, you walked away from that. And so I think James Corden is in that situation where it's just like to us it might look crazy, but to him it's just like, no, nah, I don't really feel like doing another contract because because if he comes back to the show, he's gonna have to do another contract, and he might not want that, and I respect it. Um, someone asks, do I feel famous? Like me personally, do I feel famous as an individual, as a person? No, I do not. I don't feel famous. I feel, I feel recognized and I feel, but I don't feel famous, famous. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, uh, people are aware of me now, but I don't feel like a famous person. Like, cause you know, I really, I really just navigate through the streets on a day to day. And I, you know, I go in grocery stores, I go to post office, I, I run errands and I just be, I feel unrecognized. And so, you know, I don't feel famous and, you know, it's a good place to be in. Honestly, you feel famous cause I got your shirt on. I, to me, to me, I do not feel famous. I feel like. I definitely feel like just Tony Baker. I'm just a guy working on his craft. That's what I feel like. I'm trying to get the awareness out out there, and I still feel like I can move. I can go to the 7-Eleven. I can go in a store and not be recognized. Or, you know, sometimes I'll get recognized here and there, you know. It definitely happens. Like, yo, Tony Baker, you know. But, yes, people recognize me. But I feel like I can still go into any spot and not have people approach me. Now, if I get to a place where I can't go anywhere without somebody saying something or knowing who I am, then I'll be like, all right, I'm famous. But I go to too many places where people don't know me and I just feel, I still feel regular. Like, you know, I'm out here. Um, So, no, I don't feel famous. I don't feel famous. Um. So there's that. If the Rock knows you, you are famous. I mean, you know, but the Rock knows people that aren't famous. You know, the Rock knows people that aren't famous. And so I just feel like, um, you know, I just feel I feel regular. Uh, so that's the answer to that question. Here's a, here's a good topic that I want to touch on before we get out of here. Um, this is a great topic because a lot of people, uh, it's on a lot of people's minds. I'm famous to you, Miranda. Appreciate that, man. And mind you, mind you, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting or belittling anything. Um, you know, the people that truly rock with me, the fans, all that. I'm not, I'm not trying to write anybody off. I'm just saying how I feel from from my perspective. Um, Finding purpose in your 30s and success in your 40s. So a lot of people feel pressured by time and age. Like people feel pressured to have a certain life or a certain lifestyle or a certain, 
you know, career or a certain mindset or a certain trajectory by a certain age. Like you feel like you got to be killing it and you got to be, you know, having everything in order in your late 20s or even in your 20s. By the 30s, you got to have everything figured out. You got to be on the ball. You got to know where you're going. You got to know where you're at, and you got to be solidified in your 30s. You got to have a kid by this age. You got to do this by this age. If you're doing this, you're too old. You done missed your time. You done missed your prime. And a lot of people are intimidated by getting older. A lot of people feel like they're failures because they're at a certain age and they don't have this or that. And it's, it's just not the case, y'all. It's, it's really not the case. It's all in your mind, and, and the pressure is brought on by, you know, society and, like, you know, how other people just gauge everything. I turned 45 this month. This month I'll be 45. Snuggle Beard Bakery is 45 tomorrow. Shout out to Snuggle Beard. Happy early birthday, Taurus Gang. We out here. Taurus Gang or don't bang. Um. And your cookies are phenomenal, man. Uh, I'm not sure when you started making cookies with Struggle Beard, Struggle Beard Bakery. God damn your cookies, man. Those are some good-ass cookies, man. And I, I want some of your chocolate chip cookies boneless. I want, some, I want some of your chocolate chip cookies without the chips. And I don't know why I keep fumbling, Marie, with Struggle Beard Bakery. Struggle Beard Bakery is tearing my ass up. I'm to here. I done called them Snuggle, Strudel. I can't get it together. But anyway, forget all that. Your age, okay? You're looking at people that have attained things at a young age and that you still might be struggling with or you still don't have a grasp on. So what? That's their journey. You don't have to compare other people's journey to your own. There are millionaires that are like 17 years old, 15, 16, 17. So what? So what? They ain't got nothing to do with you. That's got nothing to do with you. That shit ain't normal anyway. Okay? They out here opening boxes on YouTube. They millionaires and they're kids. So what? That doesn't mean you're not killing it in your life. That doesn't mean you should fall off your little trail trying to chase this now. Okay? I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of feeling like, you know, I should have been more solidified in my career and job by the time I was in my late 20s. Let me tell y'all my story. I'm married. I got married at the age of, let's see, how old was I? Let's see. Let me do the math, y'all. 13, 23. So 23. Wait, hold on. Let me do my math. Hold on. So in, in 97, 97, I'm 20. So 98, 99, 2000. One, two, three. So I got married at age 25, right? I became a father at age 22. I think I was 22 when Serene was born. So I'm an early dad, right? I'm a young dad, 22. How old are you, Amir? You're 27? So by the time I was Amir's age, I was a father of two, right? So being a father that early comes the pressure of I need to have my shit together. I got to have my shit together. I got to be doing something. I got to be earning a living. I got to be making money. I got kids to feed. Because the pressure's on. I got a wife. I got kids. I got to have it figured out. And by this time, y'all, I went to college. I changed my major three times. I went from psychology. I went to secondary education science. I went to secondary education social studies. I was trying to figure it out. I was trying to get my feet together. I was trying to get my feet together in my twenties, and I I couldn't get I couldn't I couldn't find I couldn't find that thing that I wanted, right? But I'm, I'm trying. I'm I'm feeling around, but I'm I'm also goofing off. I'm also making mistakes. I'm also not going to class. I'm failing classes. I'm like, yo, this is too hard. Genetics is too hard. Physics is too hard. You know. Uh, ecology is too hard, man. I got to change my major, man. This is tough. Psychology is boring. This, that, and the third. I'm fumbling. I'm trying to find my way. I'm getting student loan debt. I'm, I'm just out here. I'm partying. I'm missing class. 
you know, but I'm, but I'm also, ugh, I'm having kids, I'm exploding, I'm shooting up the club, you know, and not, and not saying that my children are bad decisions, but I wasn't making the best decisions to make sure that my kids will be financially taken care of, you know, mind you, you know, my ex-wife, shout out to Cherie, she had her eye on the ball the whole time. You know what I'm saying? She graduated. She was. She started the nursing program in high school. She was a nursing major in college. So she was like, boom. She was laser focused on being a nurse. She's like, bam. I know what I want to do. I'm going to do this. Bam. Laser focused. She was on it. Boom. Me, I'm all over the place in college. I'm like, yo, man, psychology, man, this shit boring, man. Hell no, man. I ain't taking these classes, man. I need something that's going to. Spark up my interests out here. At the same time, I'm I'm partying. I'm hanging out. You know what I'm saying? I'm out here. You know what I mean? And I'm making I'm making funny videos on campus. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm doing Vine videos in '98, '99. I'm doing Vine type videos in '98, '99. I'm just out here. I'm being funny. I'm being talented. But I don't know what I don't know what to do with the talent at New Mexico State University. I'm like yo. Man, I know I want to be in movies and TV, but I don't know how to be in movies and TV. I'm in New Mexico, you know what I'm saying? But I'm, I'm going to do these funny videos just on the strength of it. Not even thinking I should have majored in theater. Not even thinking I should have been laser focused on my craft, acting, you know? And so I'm, I'm just all over the place. And at the same time, I'm putting that pressure on myself. I'm watching my peers and my colleagues they're getting the classes done. They're getting A's and they they're getting A's and B's and you know they they're getting their degrees and they they're pushing forward and I'm struggling. I'm stalling. I'm failing classes. I'm starting from scratch. I'm just like, oh god damn man. I'm fumbling the ball, and I'm seeing this and it, you know it gets to your mental. It gets to a point where you're just like, yo man, I'm screwing up. I feel like. I'm not worthy right now. I feel like I'm getting passed up. I'm getting passed over. I feel like everybody else is on the case but me. And I'm just like, oh, God damn, man. Uh, I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure out what I love to do. So throughout my whole 20s, I'm going to tell you this. The whole decade of my 20s and in my super early 30s, I was trying to figure it out while, while battling like, yo, I feel like I don't know what I'm going to do as a lifelong profession. I don't know what I'm, I'm I don't know how I'm going to make money and be satisfied making this money. I don't know what's going to bring me joy in life on a, on a occupational level. I don't know what I'm doing y'all. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how this is going to happen. I have children. I have a wife. I got to support, but I also don't want to die in a job hating going to work every goddamn morning. This was me from for the whole decade of my 20s, early 30s. I didn't figure it out. I didn't I didn't get laser focused. Even when I even when I came out here to pursue acting, the the task of it was so daunting to me that I was still just like, yo, I can't get my feet together. I come out here into a sea of actors and people that want to be in entertainment. And now I'm just like, oh, my God, man, there's too many people out here. How can I even stand out, man? They ain't even going to see me. I don't even have an agent. My hair shots is trash. I'm in traffic. I'm doing extra work. I ain't never going to get on. I ain't never going to get a role. So I'm dealing with all of this while still trying to raise kids, being in the marriage. I'm just like, yo, man, I feel like, I made the wrong decision. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. I'm floundering for a decade plus, y'all. A decade plus of not being able to figure it out, not being able to get my feet together, as I like to call it. And I feel like an absolute failure because I'm putting the pressure on myself internally. It's not even really coming from family and friends. It's coming from society and the pressure I put on myself. And so I was just like, God damn, man, you know, you know, at at this at this stage though, I'm being a dad though. I'm being a I'm being a I'm being a whack husband, but a good dad. I'm being a good ass dad though. I'm I'm getting the boys ready for school. I'm getting them signed up for school. I'm taking them to daycare. I'm getting them signed up for that. 
I'm doing all of this. You know, I'm on, I'm on the case. I'm making their lunches. I'm making dinner. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing that. I'm a, I'm a house husband. You know, I'm cleaning up the house. I'm doing that. I'm doing the best I can. But also, at the same time, I wasn't going hard enough. You know, I remember one time uh, Cherie came home, and I was playing the video games. And, like, it, it was in the daytime. And in that moment, she felt used. She felt like, yo, I'm out here busting my ass, and you over here playing video games? And that really, in that moment, I was like, yo, for a second, I was offended and tried to flip the script. I'm like, yo, I'm out here. I'm doing this. I'm I'm holding the kids down. I'm getting them. I'm getting them to school. I'm I'm taking them to this. I'm taking them to that because the honesty of what Ree said hit me to my core. Because she was right. I was I wasn't using her, but I was I was not on the ball like I should have been. You know what I'm saying? I was not on the ball like I should have been. I should have been working hard. I should have been on the pavement. While the kids are in school, I should either be looking for agencies, looking for auditions, looking for something instead of being on the video game broad day. I'm not saying not enjoy the things that bring you happiness, but you got to be working. You got to be working off the clock because now you you hustling. And so when she said that, I, I, I initially was like, man, how dare you? You know what I'm saying? I'm holding the boys down. I'm doing this. You know, I'm taking the boys to school. You know, but then, but then I was just like, you know what? She was right. I had to realize that she was right and that I wasn't going hard enough. And I wasn't I wasn't putting in the work like I should have been doing. She was absolutely right. But in that moment, I was just like, and so um, so that put the foot in my ass. So after that, I got a job quick. You, you, do you hear me? I got a job quick. It was just a job doing inventory. I was doing, uh, I was counting inventory for this place called, uh, Damn, I can't even remember the name of the company. Regis. Regis was the company. And what they do is they do inventory counts. Like we would go to different uh, shopping areas, different stores, malls, different stores. And we would go in there and we would count the inventory. So each, I worked for Regis because I was just like, I need a job. I need something. Mind you, I started comedy. I didn't start doing stand-up comedy until 2008, April. That puts me at 31 years of age. Before I did my first open mic, I was 31. So please stop putting pressure on your age and your timeline. You could pop and find and get your feet together at any moment. As long as you find it, it doesn't matter the age. Some people find it early. And some people that you think got it all figured out when they're young they might lose their footing later on in life. Those people that you look up to and be like, man, they got it all. They're doing this. They're doing that. And the third, they may find themselves in an area where they don't want to be or they hate the job that you look at as, man, they're killing it. They might hate that job. And so for me, it's just like you you have to know yourself and be and be confident enough within yourself to know that you're on the right path and that you're doing the right things because everybody's life is truly, I'm telling you, it's truly a fingerprint. I always say fingerprints. Everybody has a different fingerprint. That goes for relationships. That goes for, you know, uh, dreams. That goes for goals, whatever it is. And so, you know, I did stand up at 31. That's when I finally found my laser focus at 31. Most people, most people would have panicked out by 29. Or they would have felt like they too old, they too, they too this, they too that. Or they would have gave up. They give up. You know, I, I had a family. I had a marriage, so I just gave up on the dream because you panic because of the timetable. 31 years of age, I discovered stand-up comedy, and that's when my laser focus kicked in. That laser focus that Ree had when she was coming out of high school, I didn't get it until 31. And ever since then, I've been on that path of the laser focus and everything else has been falling into place. I didn't become financially secure until I was in my 40s. I didn't become financially secure until my 40s, though. So I'm just, I'm just saying, like, do not put that pressure on yourself because of your age. You know what I mean? It's going to look different for every single person out here. It's going to look different. 
it's going to look different. If you want something in your life that's not textbook, that's outside of the norms, it's going to look different. If you cool with just getting a job and working your way up to the management and to the there's nothing wrong with that, but if you if that's your dream, if that's your goal, it's going to look it's going to be easier to identify your trajectory because the blueprint has been the same. But when you step outside of that and you want to do something that's outside the box, or even not even really outside the box, because acting, wanting to act is not outside the box. There are plenty of actors and, like, you know, directors and stuff like that and musicians. And that's not really outside the box. But the chances of it catching fire and really blowing up, that's when it becomes like, yo, you know. But that's where the laser focus comes in. So I just said all that to say, you know, don't down yourself because of your age. Don't get discouraged. You know, you know, Sam Jackson didn't blow up till he was older. Morgan Freeman didn't blow up until he was older. Taraji P. Henson didn't blow up until she was older. Just keep in mind that everybody's timetable is going to look different. But, but I, what I will say is that you got to have that work aspect in there early. That's what you can't fake and you can't make excuses for. That's what you can get on. You can get on busting your ass. And that's what I needed. I needed for Cherie to be honest with me in that moment and be like, yo, I feel like you're using me right now. And from that, even though it cut me to the core, because it was like, a part of it was like guilt. A part of it was like, you know, it, it was the truth serum that I needed. But I'll tell you what, that shit helped me out in spades because I started working harder after that. And so that's one thing, even though you might be uncertain, you might be, you got to you gotta do the work wherever you can do the work. And so, you know, if that's, if that's getting a job that you can tolerate for a little bit until you get your true feet together, then do that. But so that's my story. So, look, I'm just now getting my financial feet together and I'm, I'm 44. So since I've been in my 40s, um, I'm finally in a in a in a place where, you know, I'm not living I'm not living check to check, and I can turn down some things, and you know that came from the decade of laser focus work. Once a stand up at 31, stay focused on stand up. And now at 40, 44, I'm in a place where I can pull a, a a James Corden and be like, nah, I don't I don't have to do that. So, and I'm 44. So it's gonna look different to everybody, man. So I just wanted to say that. And uh yeah, I was married, I was married from uh 2003 to 2012. So yeah, y'all. So there's that. Um, so don't get bogged down by your age and don't be ashamed of it. Just, you know, control what you control, control what you can control and, you know, go to work, go to work. Don't get discouraged. Um, and stop comparing yourself to others. Like even, even though I told you, yeah, you can find what you, you can find your spark later in life, even though I kind of told you that. So you can kind of be like, well, Tony, you know, he didn't do it until he was this age. I still don't even want you, you comparing yourself to me. You know what I mean? Uh, but just know that seeing, seeing like me and like, you know, people that found a laser focus later in life, that can give you inspiration. Get, get inspired by people, but don't compare yourself to people. That's what it is. Get that inspiration wherever you need it and know that, you know, you know, you're not too old. You're not too old. Just know that. So I'm going to end on that, man, because I ain't got nothing to review right now. Uh, I'm going to finish Moon Knight soon, so I'm probably do a, a recap of that. But, uh, yeah, man, I just want y'all to know that, you know, don't let your age get you down, man. Your age is a blessing, first of all. You're blessed to still be alive. So don't ever let your age get you down. A lot of people that have died prematurely would love to just, oh, let me, let me get that 25 up off you. Let me get that 38. Let me get that 42. Let me get that 51. 
You know what I'm saying? I be thinking about my son, Serene. He died at 21. And I'll be like, man, God, he has so many experiences that he could have had after 21. I got so many experiences in my life post-21. I became a dad at 23. I got married at 25. I discovered stand-up at 31. I started doing acting for real like when I was like 26. I did my first play at 26. It's so many like experiences that so many people that have that have died so young would love to be like that that age that you feeling sad about oh I'm, I'm old I'm 38 people would kill for that age people would come out the grave let me get that 38 up off you since you sad since you since you sad that you're getting older let me get that up off you please stop being ashamed of your age please embrace it every year is a blessing I love that I'm 44 because I have experienced 44 years of life. And I know firsthand from close proximity that you ain't guaranteed that. You are not guaranteed every birthday you receive. Trust me. Trust me you are not guaranteed. So don't be sitting here moping because you're getting older. That's a blessing, man. You better take that blessing and be like, yes, I'm getting older. Yeah, your knees is going to hurt. Complain about the knees cracking. But the age, though, that's that's blessing central, man. Trust that. Anyway, I'm getting the hell up out of here doing it early. I ain't doing no long-winded verbal cardio this week. Uh, <laughs> but I want y'all to keep that in mind, man. And I believe in y'all, man. Whatever you want to do, man, it ain't too late to do it. There's an old man. He's 101, just got his high school diploma. Man, it ain't never too late. He old as hell getting that high school diploma. 101, let me get that diploma up off you, young man. It's never too late. You're never too old, man. He getting that diploma with pride. He done seen it all at 101, man. Keep that in mind, man. Shut y'all asses up and hush. Getting older is a beautiful thing, man. Anyway, uh, spread the word about verbal cardio, man. Get in on this, man. Spread the word. Tell people about it, man. You know what I'm saying? Get it going out here. I appreciate my patron saints in here, man. Shout out to y'all. I love y'all passionately in the shower. You already know it, man. Shout out to Miranda, Afro, Tanisha, Tony, Autumn, Alice, uh, Miranda, Keisha. Was it Kesha? Tony Ann, Hanaj J, Slarita, my usual suspect. Struggle Beard Bakery, man. Happy birthday once again. Styler, AJ. S. Lewis, Crystal Adams, man. I appreciate y'all. Cat James. I'm going to let y'all know when the next movie night is. I'm sorry. This has just been a busy week for me, so I haven't been able to movie night it up. I've been, it's been rapid fire. I got to do Keep Your Distance tonight. Make sure you get your tickets for the next Keep Your Distance. And, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate y'all. Um, if you are in Ontario, California, I'll be there all weekend. This weekend, five shows at the Ontario Improv. D.C. is sold out. Raleigh, North Carolina. Let's sell that bitch out. Um, so I'll be in North Carolina at the end of the month. Um, and then if you are in L.A., I would love it if you came up to Tony Baker and Friends. Got a great lineup. I got Keenan Baker, Keon Poli, D.C. Irvin, Cornelia Stradwick, Brandon Lewis, and Ruben Paul on that joint. I would love for you to come through. And I'm going to host that thing, so it's going to be a good time. Um, it's at the Avalon Theater in Los Angeles tomorrow which is actually, if you listen to Verbal Cardio, it's tonight if you're listening in, if you're not in here on the live. So anyway, love y'all, man. Be good, and we out.